Joseph, hey, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? I can. Great. Uh, thank you for doing this, taking time out of your day to do this little program that's tried. Oh, no worries. I, uh, I'm honored to, to be a part of it and very excited. Looking forward to it. And today I have uh, a co-host with me, uh, Zach Vaughn. <laughs> All right. <laughs> can, you hear me, can you hear me right now? Hey, what's up, Matt? Oh, what's up, buddy? How are you doing, man? Man, good. It's been a while. I uh, I went back and listened to the podcast that you were on for for this um, for this program, and so uh, it's been funny to to hear you guys chat back and forth and and reminisce on the the good old days back in Kentucky. That's right. Yeah. Right. Hey, which which one did you listen to? The first one or the second one? Maybe it was the second one. Uh, I can't remember. Was I hosting him or was he hosting me? Oh. Wow, now I don't know that I was paying that much attention to to, to that. <laughs> but it was good, whatever it was. I just, but it was it was funny to listen to you. I, I, man, I remember you talking about how Joseph was so quiet back in the day, and it was like crazy that now he's running a podcast. And I remember like right away, I was like, oh yeah, that's true. So I don't whichever one. I don't know if that was first or second, but that's that's one of the pieces that I remember to it. Yeah, that was the second one when Zach interviewed me. Gotcha. Okay, good deal. So I guess I'll have to go back and watch and listen to the first one. Yeah, the first one was good too. But uh, our, uh, I want to be aware of your time today. About so, uh, do we have? Are we on a time? You know, I I've got this uh, this this uh, block in my schedule here for at least an hour, and so we can we can dive into it. I don't think anything's gonna. Uh, grab my attention in the next hour. Right now, all of our students on campus are uh, away for the summer, and I, I and there's nothing there's nothing on my calendar that's going to be demanding of me. So unless there's some kind of building emergency, I am available. Groovy, groovy. Well, the way this will uh, start, the way this will is thou welcome us in, and then uh, then we'll just get started. Great. And welcome to another episode of Brocephus and Friends. I'm your host, Brocephus. And this week, uh, I have a co-host, uh, Zach Bond. But I'm excited to have our guest this week, uh, Matt Z. It's magic good to have you today. Yeah, thank you so much. I, uh, I'm pumped to be here and looking forward to our little chat here. Yes. Oh. So for those who are listening, and probably a lot of people already who listen to this probably already know who you are, but tell a little bit about who you are and what do you do. Yeah, so my name is Matt Zelich, and I uh, have been a youth pastor for, I suppose, the past 10 years. I started doing youth ministry uh, at Eastland Church of God in Lexington, Kentucky. I was there from 2010 uh, up until 2014 uh, before my family and I ended up moving out west. So we are now in Arizona. I was doing youth ministry in Scottsdale um, from from 2014 till about 2019, and uh, and loved it. Was working with middle school, high school students, and and that was definitely the calling God had placed on my life. And uh, somewhere in 2019, uh, some things had shifted. God had been um, speaking very clearly to to me and my wife that it was time to uh, transition into another season of life and ministry. We had just had our, our second child. We have two kids, our son, Kieran, and our daughter, Kinsley. Um, and when she arrived, it became very clear. as okay, there's God's doing some other things in our lives. So long story short, I'm now uh, at Grand Canyon University working with college students um, here in Phoenix. And uh, my wife is with uh, Christ Church of the Valley, CCV, doing youth ministry with middle school students there. So uh, we're, we're, we're loving it and, and anxious to see what God has in store for us moving forward. But uh, for now, we're very much settled and, and very much blessed. That is good. That is really good. Well, Matt, I, uh, I heard also, and I actually have a copy right in front of me, but I also know that you've written a book. Yes, yes. So that I guess that's a, a key piece to the equation I, I left out. Yeah, I, I recently, one of the things I felt God had called me to do when I started working with college students, um, he had planted this um, this dream in my heart years ago to become an author. And, and for so many years, I said, oh, I got to start writing. I got to start writing. Um, and it took me stepping out of my role 
um, doing youth ministry to finally kind of ignite that fire within me. And so uh, I started writing uh, in, I think, uh, let's see, it must have been late, late November of 2019 um, to begin writing my first book, which is called Naked in God's Holy Temple. And it's a book that um, is intended, it's, it's Christian nonfiction, so it's designed for spiritual development um, to help people in their walk with Jesus. And so I completed that in December of 2020. Uh, and now just kind of trying to spread the word and, and get the book in people's hands. I genuinely believe it's going to help people grow in their faith, uh, grow in their understanding of, of what God is doing in their life, and hopefully help them reach their true potential, reach their calling. Um, and that's, that's the goal with it. And, uh, and so every, you know, it, it's, it's fun to watch people pick up a copy and, and read it. And so I'm just patiently waiting to see how God will use it in people's lives. Yeah, I I love I love the the book title and how you you've broken it up into five parts with each word being a part um, in the title. And I when Joseph told me about this and he wanted me to co-host this with him, I I started reading and I I love the and also just in like hearing another podcast with you in it about like the you were writing the um, you were writing the book acronym and then you realized it was night. And then, like, the whole thing with Nicodemus yeah, uh, and, and God calling him and into the night. And I don't know. It's just, like, one of those God things that it's, like, it just – it adds up so perfectly that you know that this is um, – this is, you know, a, a book that God obviously called you to write. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was thinking about that as I was having a conversation with someone else. And the acronym was not intentional. It was not that I did not set out to create that acronym. It just was um, something I discovered as I, I, I remember I was journaling. I had the title for this book a long time ago, Naked in God's Holy Temple. And it's a long title. And so as I was journaling, I kept writing out the title over and over again. And I thought, this title's too long. I got to shorten this up. So I just, I just took the first letter of each word and realized it, was, it spelled the word night. And it was during that time that I was, you know, reading through the Nicodemus story and how he approaches Jesus. Scripture tells us he approaches Jesus at night for a very important reason, because he's insecure. He wants to protect his position. He doesn't want people to know what he's doing, but he's, but he's curious about Jesus. And so um, that was a huge connection for me. And, and honestly, big affirmation that this book, whatever's good about it, whatever's true about it, it's not of me. It is, it is God speaking, um, to, to people through this writing and uh, anything that's, I'll take credit for all the bad stuff, whatever you're like, oh, this, this book's terrible. <laughs> that, that part of it is me. That's me. Uh, anything that's good, anything that's true uh, is, is all from God. Mm. Well, I, I'll just say, I'll be your hype dude and say that it's great. Oh, what yes. I've read so far is so good. And I, I think, I think that it's so cool that you, you know, took the, the dream that you said that you had and, very vivid and just the calling from God to be able to do this. And I guess I just wanted to ask, like, was, was there parts in the journey of writing it where you didn't think that this was something that you were supposed to do? Like, were there times where you were like, Oh crap, I don't know if I could do this. Yeah, that is a, that's actually a really good question because that is a part of the journey and not only just of writing a book, I think it's part of the journey of all of our, lives and, and our callings and, and determining our purpose, we will face moments that we doubt ourselves. And we, we, we might set off on a journey at one moment confidently and feeling motivated and getting a vision of what we want to accomplish. And as we take steps on that journey, I think that we eventually are confronted with doubts and questions and uh, we second guess ourselves. And so to answer your question, there were a lot of times I was out riding, walking away from my computer thinking that was terrible. I, I don't, I don't know that I have anything good to say. I don't think this is this. Nobody's going to read this. There's better authors out there. You know, all of those voices that come into our minds and in our hearts that tell us, you know, we're, we're incapable. We're not really, we're, we're not really the person for the job, so to speak. We need to step aside and let someone else do it. Uh, because you know, we're, we're not really worthy of it. And 
And I think whether you're an art, whether you're an author, whether you're an artist, whether you're a CEO, what, whatever it is, we all will eventually be confronted with those voices that, mm. that challenge us to put aside our calling, put aside the dream that God has, has put in our hearts. Um, I think that's the voice of the enemy trying to prevent God's, uh, God's purpose from, from materializing, from, from God's purpose being realized. And so, and it's effective, man, that voice of doubt, like just it, it seeps in and you really do feel in those moments, like you need to, you need to step back and, um, and we, we have to silence that voice. We have to silence those voices of, of doubt, um, because God has called us. We, 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 we are given from scripture affirmation. God has called us. God does have a purpose. The thing that he set within your heart to accomplish that's from him and you need to go do that. And you can't let uh, the, the doubt and the voice of the enemy prevent you from, from moving forward on that journey. That is good. You know, in reading this book, the book is so practical uh, going through all the stuff. And I love a good practical book because uh, it's easy me. It's easy to me to uh, keep my attention going. Uh, talk about, uh, Part one, uh, the start naked. Why do you think it's so tough for people to be vulnerable? That is a really good question. Um, so part one begins with the story of Adam and Eve. And I think it's a story that so many people are familiar with, even, even non-Christians. People who don't believe in God or don't read the Bible are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve being naked in the garden. But that's, that's a story that, that goes beyond um, some historical moment. It is the story of us. It's the story of human beings. We all um, at one point find ourselves in the same position that we are naked, we feel exposed, we're vulnerable, and we end up trying to conceal those insecurities ourselves. In, in the story of Adam and Eve, they cover their bodies with fig leaves and they, they realize that those coverings are insufficient. And that's why they end up hiding from God. God, they hear God approaching, so they hide from him in the bushes, which is what insecurity does. It causes us to, to cover ourselves up and to hide. And that's not the life we're made for. That's not the life God had given them. And so he, he brings them out from hiding. And this is a key moment in, in the story. We often miss this. It says that God clothed them with animal skins. So God makes a sacrifice. And he uses that sacrifice to cover them. And this is, this is actually foreshadowing the story of Jesus, that that's, that's what God is going to do in, in um, that, that's his purpose for, for Jesus, that he will make a sacrifice on our behalf that will end up covering us. It will clothe us um, and it will, it will cover our shame and our guilt and our insecurity and enable us to be who we're made to be. So, um, so part one is all about really helping the reader uh, try to identify what are those insecurities in their life? How is it that they've prevented them from um, stepping forward in confidence? What are the areas where we're trying to cover ourselves? We're trying to make ourselves look good. We're trying to propel ourselves above everyone else. Uh, and um, and how are those things impacting us in the life that God has had for us? And, and maybe even a better word is how are, how are those postures and those attitudes and those behaviors robbing us from the, the life that God has called us to live. Yeah. I, my friends always make fun of me for the way I say the word naked. Cause I guess it sounds country or something. <laughs> sure. But um, I, I just thought I was telling them one time and I was just, I, I couldn't believe it that it was like Adam and Eve didn't even realize they were naked until, until like they first sinned and it's just like it's so crazy and i was just thinking like and even now just like in processing it it's like what how many other things in life do we feel like we're like that that we don't feel like we're naked but we really are you know it's like mm. one of those things where it's like how many how many moments in life do we have where it's like hmm we're really sinning but we can't even see it and i think that that's a really good uh it's kind of like a puts the fear of god in you i guess where it's like you know you always have to check yourself of, mm. you know am i am i living the right way or am i not because it's easy to not be able to see um uh, like if you if you don't know that you're naked then you have 
you know, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so subtle. This is, it's, it's, it's a universal human problem. Like I really believe this part one of this book identifies something that every human being wrestles with, but it can be very subtle. Sometimes we don't even, we're not even aware of our own insecurities. And that's a big problem because when you're not aware of what your insecurities are, it doesn't stop the fact that they exist. They're, they're, they're there somewhere, but it, when we're not aware of what our insecurities are, then we're really not aware of the ways that we're, we're acting on them, the ways that we're trying to cover them up and, and hide from them. And so uh, it, 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 it's an issue that we, we need to confront head on if we're gonna actually grow past it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, part one, naked. Part two, in. And I'm very interested uh, when talk about part two, mm-hmm. yeah. So part two is uh, using the word. You know, every, every part of this book is just adopts one word in the title. And when I when I was writing the book, I really thought, well, I'll probably just skip the word in because it's just <laughs> it's, there's not a lot of depth there. Until I looked at the definition, and um, and and every section begins with a definition, and then I realized actually there's a lot more here that that we need to dive in. Um, part two is all about identifying your circumstances. We're all in something, so to speak. And a lot of times our circumstances are unfortunate things that we want to get out of. And so when you're stuck in a bad circumstance and you want out, what is it that you do? And so part two is trying to identify what we need to accomplish when we're in a bad circumstance and how to get through it and how God is using that circumstance that we're in to shape us and to mold us. And if we're receptive to it, we then become the agents through which he shapes those circumstances in return. So uh, part two is just trying to identify, hey, where are you at? And despite what you've been through or your upbringing or your worldview, what are you in right now? Are Are you in a bad relationship? Are you in a bad season of life? Are you in a bad job? You know, what, what is it that you find yourself surrounded by? And what, where do you go from here? Mm. You know, that is so good. I think it is so important um, as we move forward to forget the tapes of the past and say, how can I move forward and and go on, and how can how can I uh, be calling to what God wants me to be called to, and how do I discern that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, uh, so this book, um, step one, naked. Step two, in, and step three, God's. I. Um, and I'm glad you put God in there because it's spiritual. But uh, talk about uh, the third part. Sure. So part three, God's, is all about asking the question, who is God? And how does God make himself known to us? Because we live in a world of people, uh, secular or otherwise, we're trying to understand um where can the best life be found? And the Bible outlines that the clear answer is from, from God. God. God is capable of offering us the best life because he's the one who created it and designed it um, and gifted it to us. So part two is trying to identify, look, when we read scripture, who is God? How do we recognize him? How does he make his how does he make his presence evident in our lives? And just as importantly, what are the obstacles to seeing God clearly? What are the things, what are the reasons that we sometimes miss God and the ways that he's working in our lives? Because if we're not aware of how God is working, how God is revealing himself to us, and we're certainly not aware of the barriers to, to seeing him working in our lives, and we're going to feel this gap, and this is felt by a lot of people that ends us asking, well, "Where is God?" Well, I don't, I don't really know. I don't, I don't think He's there, or, or it's, it's not clear to me. 
um, we get stuck in our faith. And so part three is trying to help the audience, the reader identify what are the reasons that you get stuck. And I think this is helpful to me individually because um, all of this book really comes from my own journey, my own experiences, but part three specifically comes from my own crisis of faith. When I was in college, even preparing for ministry, I had a crisis of faith. I almost walked away entirely just because I had questions that I was battling, questions that I was wrestling with, and I couldn't find clear answers. And it just felt like, man, the only thing I can conclude is God must not be there. And I'm, I'm glad that's not the conclusion I came to, uh, that I ended at. I kept, I kept searching. I kept journeying forward. And so part three is, is somewhat my own journey of, of moving forward and realizing who God is in the way that he's revealing himself to me in my life. Yeah, that's, that's good, man. I'm, man, that's, that's good. Uh, I, I was, I was thinking about, you know, the, the whole thing of, of who God is. And, you know, I, I know there's, there's probably parts of the Bible to answer this question well, and I'm sure I haven't got to the God's part in the book yet, but you know, the, I know the Bible says that God is love. And I was talking to somebody recently and I came, I, this could, I, this might not be true, but I thought it sounded good if it is. And I'm pretty sure it is because I haven't read the whole Bible. So I guess it's hard to know if it's true or not. But I was thinking about the whole, you know, people want to rank sins and say one sin is, 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 uh, you know, more severe or more, you know, or, or worse than the other one. And I was just thinking about, you know, the only thing that I know is ranked is the commandments and God asks us, you know, to, to love first and, uh, you know, that that's the greatest commandment is to love, but I'm pretty sure that there's not like a ranking of sins. So I just think that it's so interesting to kind of think about that conclusion and say that we should be more Christ-like in the way that we love. And, you know, that mm -hmm. song of they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. I'll refrain from singing because I don't want anyone to turn it off at this point. So. <laughs> um, you know how I, I'm pretty sure that's a popular one. People should know how that one goes. But what do you think about about that? Yeah. So Jesus summarizes all the commandments in, into two. He said, love, love God and love people. And he does that. There's this book I, I, I always recommend it. This, the, the number one book I recommend is a book called The Burden is Light by John Tyson. He's a pastor in New York. It's spelled J-O-N, John Tyson. And, uh, and he talks about how what, what Jesus comes to do is not to lay upon us this heavy burden. Um, and, and that's where you get into sometimes the legalism we find in, in churches and in, in, in sections of Christianity that you know your, your salvation is dependent on X, Y, Z, uh, trying to fulfill all of these commands. And, and that's, that's really the, that's the story of Jesus is he arrives on the scene when I think at the time there was up to 613 commandments, so to speak, that have evolved long beyond the, the, the 10 commandments that were initially given to um, the people of Israel. And so as, as time progresses and as commandments expand, you know, the, the burden of religion becomes very heavy. And it's, and it's a burden trying to answer the question, how can we become right with God? How do we, and that, and that's, it makes sense why, why we see that occur in the Bible, because we, we want to be right with God. We want to do right by him. We want to live a good life. We want to be in obedience. But, uh, but so much of that mentality is actually keeping us from the thing that God is doing in our life, which is to um, fulfill what we cannot fulfill. Um, to live the perfect life, to cover our sins, to offer us grace, but as a catalyst towards truth, to becoming who we're meant to be. And so uh, that is why, in my opinion, as a Christian, you can't know God without knowing Jesus. It's, it's crucial that we understand if we're going to pursue God, uh, but exclude the story of Jesus, you might, you might catch glimpses, but scripture makes it very clear um, we know God when we know Jesus. Mm. Yes. Dang. Wow. All right. Drop, is, dropping, yeah, dropping some some heavy stuff today, man. I 
it, it is what it is, but, uh, you, you know, it's, it's important to think through this stuff. And so, um, by all means, you know, it's, I don't intend to, for it to be so heavy, but, but these are in questions that I've had to wrestle with. And I encourage the listeners to wrestle with the stuff as well. Heavy's good. Heavy's good. Like good, good, good. Well, let me say this. Um, I tell this to people. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't take this lightly when I say this, but when I say, uh, when I was reading the book, you know how to take the cookies and put them on the bottom shelf. And how you, <laughs> how you uh, take this complex stuff and put it to where people can understand it and read it. And that that is a, that is, um, a challenge that I think uh, not everybody can do. So uh, you have a gift for doing that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I have never heard the expression, put the cookies on the bottom shelf, and I love it. That is an amazing <laughs> expression. If you talk to Joseph for any period longer than, uh, than just on the – on the few minutes mark, then you'll get some of those. And it's, it's great when they come out. Bingo. Bingo. Love it. You know, this next word, we talk a lot in the church. We have holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty. You know, that wonderful hymn. Um, But, and I think we say it a lot. And just like the words in the church, I think sometimes they can be, uh, talked a lot and we don't really know what they mean. Talk to us about that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, uh, chapter. I think holiness, the word holy can be for most people, a very scary, if not just simply intimidating word. And there's good reason for that. When we think about the holiness of God, we, we recognize and we're confronted with our, our own insufficiencies. I don't think I know a single person on earth that would say, well, I'm, I'm holy. I'm holy like God. I'm sinless. I'm perfect. And so the idea of not only God being holy, but, but his followers striving toward holiness, that becomes a big roadblock for a lot of people. And, uh, and I, I certainly would never try to oversimplify it. It's, it's deep, it's heavy, and it needs to be contended with. But one of the things I, I try to show people in part four wholly in this book is that there's an aspect of this that we're, we're often missing. Um, holiness in its first three uses in the Bible just means set apart. That's, that's it's simply what, this simply how the Bible is using the word. So, um, you know, so if to use an example, this, this example has actually been used on, on uh, the Bible Project videos. I, I recommend people check that out as well. But the sun is, is, could be deemed holy because it's set apart within our solar system. It's unique. It's not that we don't have anything within our solar system that's like it. It's, it's, it's so that if we, but if we exclusively use that definition to define God's holiness, it diminishes what the Bible really says about God's holiness. He's not just set apart. He's not just different or, or outside of, of everything. There is a quality to being holy that, that's crucial when we talk about God's holiness. And that quality is, is uh, first revealed when he liberates the Hebrew slaves from Egypt. They're crossing the Red Sea. This is the first time when God is called holy by his people, and it's in reference to their liberation, to their freedom. That means God uh, not only defines um, holiness, but his holiness is a catalyst for our freedom. And so uh, when I, I, I try to put it like this. I think I give a, God gives this command in, in scripture, which this going, going back to the idea of being intimidated, how's this for intimidation? The Bible says, be holy because God is holy. Well, that, that sounds very intimidating to me. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to be, I want to be holy, but, but how, how do I do that? And um, another, I, I, I create kind of this other translation. It's not scripture, of course, but I, I try to paraphrase that as this. Um, when you think of be holy as, as I am holy, I think what God is really saying behind that, behind what holiness is and what holiness means is he's saying, 
live your best life because I designed you to live your best life. Holiness defines what is right and what is true. And so when we're living in truth, we are living our best possible life. So holiness is actually a gift. When you think about that God wants you to be holy, he's not putting this crazy demand on you. He's, he's offering you a gift. He's saying, this is your best life. This is where freedom is found. And you will experience it and know it. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Holiness has this symbiotic relationship with truth and with freedom. And when we come to understand that, that's when we begin this journey of, of living the best life we can live. Mm. That's so good, man. Okay. Well, I, I know Joseph asked about the first four parts, but I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and ask the, what, what the next word we all know is coming. If you could, you know, you, we talked about the first four. Could you talk a little bit about part five temple? Yes. It's funny. Everything. So this book, this book kind of functions as like a, a pyramid and, and at the very top is this idea of the temple, but, but in order to, in order to arrive at the top here, uh, we have to build that strong foundation. So every, every section of this book is, is, is ultimately building a foundation to prop up this idea of temple. I talked to an author that said, don't put your best content at the end because most people don't finish a book. And I understand that and I get that, but if I've, if I've ever made an argument to like finish a book, it's, it's in part five temple because everything from part one through part four is building to part five, this idea of the temple. And the reason this is important is because when you read in the Bible, the temple is mentioned all the time. It's like, it's the center of this community of people following God. It's important. It's crucial. But then all of a sudden you get to the New Testament and something has happened. Well, the temple has been destroyed while the Israelites have been exiled to Babylon. There have been kingdoms that have come in and conquered. And through, through the, the history of the Bible, the history of the Jewish people, the temple comes to be destroyed. And uh, eventually they rebuild it. They have the second temple, but uh, it's very clear in scripture. It's not quite the same. And some people who have, who are alive to see the first temple make that very clear that this is not quite an occasion to celebrate. Um, the temple has not returned to its former glory. And uh, during the time of Jesus, people are waiting the Messiah. They think, okay, well, there, there's going to be a day where the king will return. The temple will, will uh, inhabit God's presence and we will finally get back to the people we're supposed to be. There's this great anticipation for the Messiah. And, uh, and so when we read through scripture, it's the, the temple is, is kind of the, the central theme in, in all of this for, for God to be um, returning to earth, to live among his people. And uh, the reason for, for, for the temples, um, for, for, for God's presence that it's, it's vacant from the temple is because it becomes full of idols. We, all, we, you know, we, we see time and time again in, in scripture, the temple becomes full of idols and, and God's presence um, is, so to speak, pushed out. And, uh, and so much of the Old Testament is, is trying to get to this point where God's presence returns to the temple, which becomes very disheartening when Jesus says to his disciples, oh, no, no, no the temple is going to be destroyed. And at the time, he's, he's talking about his body. They don't recognize that. But he makes this claim that not, not one stone will, be, um, will remain on top of another. He's going to fully demolish this temple. And sometimes as Christians, we think, oh, that's because a temple was an Old Testament thing. And let me make this very clear. The temple is not an Old Testament thing. It, it didn't go anywhere. In fact, we still need the temple to this day. The change happens when uh, the authors of the New Testament make this distinction that the temple remains, but it's, it's gone from a building to a people. It says that the followers of Jesus, Jesus are the living stones of the new temple. So if you think that the temple was, oh, this old thing that happened in, in, the, in the Old Testament, um, you are missing a fundamental aspect of our journey in following Jesus. We become the new temple. We 
that God's presence still needs to reside within the temple. It just changed from a pile of stones to a people. And so um, part five is all about, hey, this, if you're missing this, then, then you may be missing a key, a key aspect of your faith journey because God wants to inhabit you with his spirit. And so when we become the temple, we're clothed. We're, and, that, and it ties back to part one because that's, that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to clothe us. We're naked. We're ashamed. We're vulnerable and we're insecure. God is clothing us as the new temple mm. um, to be vessels of his presence to, um, to reach the world. And that's where we find our calling and that's when we find our purpose as, as followers of Jesus. Mm. That's good stuff. That is. I, it's, it's so cool to, to sit down or not sit down in person, but you know, just to have a conversation, speaking truth. I, I remember back in the day, you would pick me up from school and then we'd hang out and talk about God. And then sometimes we, you would kill me in a game of Madden or you would beat me in a <laughs> three point contest and post about it. Um, hey, well maybe some of, yeah, I, I definitely have fond memories of that time and, and that's good too. So I love, I love to talk about the heavy stuff, but, but my goodness, it's all in the spirit of enjoying and celebrating life. And when you can, uh, owning your opponent in Madden or, or in a little one-on-one <laughs> -on -one basketball. I'll do, I'll, you know, do, I'll, I'm, I'm here to do what I got to do. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> whatever that is, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Uh, that's awesome. On a, on a lighter, on a lighter note, I got to ask, cause it's been a while since I've talked to you about the NFL. Are we, I'm, I'm newly a Bengals fan because I, I love Joe Burrow. Are you still on the Bengals train or are we, are you still who day nation or are you, are you not as into the Bengals anymore? I let me. I, I guess I, I suppose I have two answers to that question. So, uh, am I am I still a Bengals fan? Absolutely, and I should say absolutely and unfortunately. Like it's torture. <laughs> it's torture to be a Bengals fan. <laughs> I I have had many moments where, if I could snap my fingers and genuinely disown them and be indifferent to it, I would do it. But I can't. I just they have like this. It's a curse. It really is. I say that. I don't. I mean, I mean, it. it's a curse to be a Bengals fan. To love them, I wish. It's it's a prison. So I've tried to escape that prison. So to answer your second question, do I still am I do I still love them as much as I? Well, I still love them. I still root for them. But I definitely think I've gotten away from the power it's had over my life. Being disappointed Sunday after Sunday, season after season. I want them to succeed. I cheer them on. And, uh, I, but I also, I also hold my expectations of them very loosely and I'm not quite as disappointed when they lose as I used to be. Does that answer your question? Uh, yeah. I think it does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's definitely tough. I'm, I, I've kind of, I've added the Bengals because I'm a fan of Cincinnati just because it's close to Lexington. So mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like I needed to. And being what? a Reds fan is also torture. It's just it's, it's torture, man. Cincinnati sports. And you know, there's always that glimmer of hope. Like you get Joe Burrow and you think, oh, this will be our time. And maybe it, maybe it is. That's, that's the hope. But uh, we'll have to wait and see how they can surround him with talent before I start celebrating a future Super Bowl victory. Hey, we're going to – Super Bowl champs, Cincinnati Bengals, uh, Super Bowl 60, I'm calling it. <laughs> okay, maybe. Man, that would be great. I would uh, – I don't know that I'll live to see the day, but we'll, we'll see. Time will tell. Well, I hope, I hope you're alive for 2060 or not 2060, <laughs> 60th Super Bowl. That's like four years away. Maybe, maybe I'll even be alive for 2060. Who knows? Who knows? That's that's yeah. uh, that's, that's quite a bit away. That but. is. I think, we're, <laughs> I think we're. Yeah. I hope. We, I hope we all are. So, God willing. That's yeah, right. Creek, creek don't rise. You know, <laughs> uh, um, taking this back to a little uh, heavier, not really heavy, but um, so I looked at my stats one day, and they said that my age group which i was surprised because i thought i'd be in a sea of geriatrics would be is 18 to um like 21 and uh talk to the people about you know people might be asking you know how or why do i need to get into a community after after high school why is that so vital 
talk to that a little bit if you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, that's the demographic that I'm, I'm working with right now is you know, college students and, uh, and then, you know, the, the early phase of, of young adulthood. I come across this issue uh, probably less in my immediate context because working with college students, it's easy to find community here, here where I'm at at, at GCU. You, it's a school of 15,000 people. You're living in dorms, living in apartment buildings. There's people all around you. And, and as long as you're willing to take a step to, uh, to initiate some interaction, you, you can find people, you can find community. The, the real challenge is how to maintain that community or find community in the next stage of life. When you're a little bit older and you don't live in a dorm, you don't live in an apartment, you don't live next door, and you're not next door neighbors with a bunch of people in your same age bracket, uh, then it becomes an effort and something you have to be intentional about. And so I would absolutely tell people this is part of the reason why church is so important because um, you need to be intentional about finding community. You can't just simply stumble upon it. And, uh, and, if, and, and if that's your method, if you're just hoping to fall into community, uh, time and time again, I talk to people who look around realizing, oh, I don't have it. I, I simply don't have community. And, um, and they feel that void in their life when you're going through tough stuff or even when you want to celebrate, there's no one to be there with you. And so community is crucial. Um, the church is, is uh, an, a, you know, a, a group of people and a living organism that is intended and designed by God to offer that community um, in, in all stages and all seasons of your life to have people to walk alongside you going the same direction that, that you're going. Because mm-hmm. um, that's the other part is you, you can find community, but people, you might surround yourself with people that are going a very different direction in, in life as you. Um, and that's not to, to be condemning or, or you know, to say that, that we don't want to reach them. No, that, that's not at all true. But the reality is if you don't have, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus and you don't have community with other people rooted in Jesus, uh, then the community you are surrounding yourself with is going to inevitably pull you away from, from that journey of faith that you're on. Um, nobody's going to accidentally follow Jesus one day. <laughs> and so it, 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 is, it takes intentionality. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to trip and fall up the mountain. And so uh, you, it's, it's, it's a climb and it's, and it's difficult and strenuous. And so, if you're if you're a person following Jesus, you need to find a community of people following Jesus to walk up that mountain with you. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I was I was gonna say like so you're in college age ministry, and we're me and Joseph are both heavily involved with the campus ministry at UK CSF. And I, it's funny, I just came back before we did this to, from interning this summer with CSF, and um, our our new pastor to students uh, for that ministry he has a line that he said since he's been here that I really like. And he's always talked about that. He wants CSF to be a place where you can belong before you believe. And I really like that. Just the aspect of feeling like you are belonging before you believe um, in God and in 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 the Mm -hmm. community that you're around. Um, I guess this is kind of a double question for you, but Grand Canyon university, I've seen them on, on uh, advertisements all over, but is, is it a public school or a private school? And then also, if it is a public school, how do you, how do you balance, um, you know, just because of like, if it's a Christian university, it'd be private or something like that. But if it's a public university, how do you go about, you know, kind of leaning into the um, Christianity and like pushing, not pushing, but just talking to students about God as a, as a resident director there. So GCU is a private Christian school, uh, but that doesn't mean, which it's funny because of just the size of it. And they do a really good job marketing, not only to people here in the Valley, but uh, across the United States. We have a lot of people from, from all over uh, coming into Arizona to come to school here. So it is, it is a Christian school, but that doesn't mean everybody here is Christian. And in fact, I would even argue, um, it could, you could, you could maybe even by, by certain metrics, you could say that half the people that attend here are not Christian. And mm-hmm. so, um, so that, that, that definitely creates opportunity. And I think GCU is well aware of the opportunity that they have, um, 
welcoming non-Christian students in, in, into their classrooms um, and onto their campus, um, they, they, they definitely say, hey, this is, whether you believe or not, this is a school for you. So that's, and I think, I think that's felt with the fact that they do attract a lot of non-Christians to GCU. Mm-hmm. But there are people here that take their faith very seriously. They prioritize it in their life. And so, um, so I, I really do think it's that 50-50 split um, which, which means that, hey, if, if the students here that, that are Christian, that do prioritize their faith, it gives them an opportunity to um, invite others into that, that, that attend here and are not Christian. Um, without a doubt, there are, there are things happening here at the school that you would expect to see at any other state school. There's people partying, there's people hooking up, there's, there's a lot of that stuff going on. And so um, by no means is GCU inside of a Christian bubble. But, um, but that's a picture of, of our impact in the world where, you know, Christians are not going to isolate themselves. If they're going to be effective in their, in their mission that, that Jesus has put them in, um, the Great Commission to, to go to all the world, you can't live in the Christian bubble. You need to be comfortable um, reaching people outside um, of the faith and inviting them in. Um, and, but just doing so in, in a way that you're cautious, that you're not, you're not getting... Um, swept up in, into the secular narrative, the secular world in the process. Yeah, that's really good. Um, in sort of, in partly closing here uh, today, um, we went through a year that none of us have ever seen before. And so uh, through many different aspects, uh, what's some things that you've learned during this past year? I, I have learned a, a number of things, and I think, without a doubt, I'm still learning in, in, in a number of, of different categories. Uh, we're definitely, we're learning, we're, we're, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to dissect <laughs> as, we, as we think on this past year. But what I will say, coming, across, coming through this year, and we're not fully out of it, but, but we're, we're definitely taking those steps. It has been eye-opening to me to see how divided we are in a number of different ways and how um, people that were, we, we didn't think we were at all divided with, how just in overnight you, you can be miles apart, it seems. And I, I actually have a theory that in the ways we seem to be divided right now as a country, um, we're divided in a lot of different ways. In the ways we seem to be divided, I have this theory that we're actually um, somewhere between sixty and seventy percent united. Um, mm-hmm. and we're actually we actually agree with you know, this, take take two polar opposite people that think that of themselves as just pure enemies. There's they have nothing in common. I actually think sixty to seventy percent they would agree on. It's that thirty percent where they where they they disagree and they they struggle to agree to disagree. And then we suddenly, you know, create new enemies and think of people as subhuman. And that, ha- I mean, that happened fast, man. That just happened fast on both sides on, on a number of different issues. We just became so divided. And, um, and I think I learned how quickly, um, especially, especially for our world, um, we, you know, people, we are now in a, a post-Christian society. People think of like, oh, America is a Christian nation. That's not true. We're in a post-Christian nation, a post-Christian society. So, um, and, and that, that is, that is becoming more and more evident when people react and respond the way that we do when we face a number of issues. Um, we are all trying to find solutions in a, in a number of different ways. And so, uh, this year has been a testament to how the secular narrative will fail us. People want to try to create a utopia, and uh, what happens when you have a hundred different visions of what utopia is and how to get there? You're not you're not going to arrive. And so, uh, this year has taught me how crucial Jesus is <laughs> to <Yeah. laughs> to be to to need to to follow Jesus, to need Jesus, to be unified under Jesus. Um, we're all, there's, you know, there's a number of different ways people are looking to a Messiah. Uh, and the Bible makes it clear there, you're, you're going to be waiting a long time. The Messiah has, has come, has, has made himself known, has revealed himself. And, um, and we, we need to find him because uh, we are a very broken world. Uh, 
Uh, and, and, and if you can't agree with that, evaluating the past year, then I, I think you've been living under a rock. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was going to say before we close, I, I was going to tell you this the next time I talk to you, but we happen to be in a recorded conversation, but I'll say it anyway. I just wanted to, to thank you for the, the year. Like I, I know that you were my youth pastor the year that I thought that I had a, we're not thought, but had a call in the ministry. And I just want to say that I appreciate that you were, uh, very, um, it, you helped formate the, I hope that's a word for me, but, uh, you helped the formation of, of, of that for me and helped kind of show me what that looks like. Um, and it's cool to kind of be getting close to that time where that could possibly be real. So I just, I wanted to say thank you for doing that. For yeah. That time. Yeah. I, man, I, I appreciate that. Those, those are that those are words I I, um, I I hold on to and with you know and recognize the the sincerity behind them and uh, would just almost even echo the same thing to you guys uh, it's 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 my honor and my privilege to be working alongside you guys in, in ministry and having the the privilege of being a part of your journey when you guys were younger I know that that um, you know I didn't get to see you through high school. Um, which that's another important part of your own journeys, but, uh, but man, I, I appreciate that. That, that means everything. And, and it's, it's great assurance, not only for me, but hopefully for you guys as well, that, uh, you know, the impact that, that you make is, is far greater than you're aware of. Mm, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for your time today, uh, and blessings to you. And, uh, thank you for today. Yeah, I, I really do appreciate um, the opportunity to chat with you guys. For anyone listening, uh, I would just encourage you, if you could, you know, grab a copy of my book, Naked in God's Holy Temple. You can look me up uh, on my website, mattzielich.com, Z-I-E-L-I-C-H, or find me on social media to get some updates. But uh, again, uh, greatly appreciate the time and the conversation, you guys. Yes, sir. Hey, good to talk to you, Matt. Yes. Thank we'll, you. We'll see you. All righty. Bye-bye, guys. Bye.